Here's today's God Heals Hurting Marriages with Charlene Steinkamp. I'm so excited for you to listen to our new podcast today. I asked Lori to share from her heart this week, and you are going to be blessed. Lori's podcast is titled, But God. You know how God has intervened in my heart and then in Bob's heart and life. Where would I be if the Lord had not touched and changed my heart after my divorce? But God spoke to me so loudly. Be encouraged by Lori's But God podcast. One of my good friends is going through a separation right now. And when she sat me down to tell me that she was moving out of her home because of an affair that her husband was in the middle of, I felt so sad for her. She was telling me accusation after accusation that he was launching against her. Things that were true and things that seemed very untrue. In the midst of your marriage problems, you've probably faced accusations from your spouse as well. Your spouse may have accused you of not being attentive to their needs, or maybe you were accused of sin. When you're accused of something, it hurts, but you need to stop and ask yourself, Is the accuser trying to help me or hurt me? And you also need to examine who is launching the accusation. Is it someone who cares about me and loves me? Or is it someone who is a deceiver? The enemy will come against you and try to accuse you of things. And we can let our minds be so filled with lies from the enemy that it can begin to feel like reality. As a parent, when I accuse one of my kids of something... I'm usually trying to help them grow in the Lord and to correct a path that they may be going on. When my husband accuses me of something or asks me about something, he might be trying to correct the course of our marriage and share an area where we may need to dive deeper together. There is such thing as constructive criticism. Some of us are of the mindset that any accusation is destructive, but there's times when God can use an accusation to bring about change in our life. Do you have close friends that you've given permission to speak truth into your life? Those friends who can say, hey, you may not realize this, but your tone is really sharp when you speak to that person. Or someone who can say, you may not know, but the situation could appear sinful to someone who doesn't know all of the details. I have those friends in my life and I've given them permission to speak those accusations to me. I know that they're not trying to accuse me of things, but they're trying to open my eyes in love to areas where I may not see things as they see them. I may not see things as the world sees them. That type of accusation is intended as constructive. We need to understand that apart from God, we are nothing. Let me read a passage from Ephesians to you. If you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Verses one through three make us sound wretched. If we stopped and just read those verses, we would see no hope. Verse one says we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Verse two, we used to follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air. Verse three, We were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. We were objects of wrath, it says at the end of verse 3. But God, because of his mercy and his great love for us, he made us alive with Christ. And that's what we need to focus on when we feel those accusations coming against us. I understand that what you're facing may seem impossible, The mountain of circumstances in front of you is great, and it may feel most days like you don't understand how it's ever going to disappear. Every day we receive message after message from people who have a reality that seems unfixable. But God. My parents started saying, but God, a lot after their restoration. My dad was the picture of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. But God, God changed him because of God's great love for us, his mercy. He made Bob Steinkamp alive in Christ. He made Charlene Steinkamp alive in Christ. And he even did that for us children when he restored our family. When my parents' marriage was restored, there was a laundry list of circumstances in my mind that I was unwilling to let go of. I didn't want to forgive things that had happened in the past. I didn't want to let my guard down and be willing to accept this new version of my dad. I was sure that there was no way he could really change. My faith was so invisible that I didn't trust that God could really do something for him. But God... In your human eyes, you may not see how God can ever bring about healing and restoration to your situation, but he is able. It doesn't matter that your Aunt Debbie can't see how your spouse could ever change. God is able. It doesn't matter that your Sunday school teacher thinks that your spouse has gone too far and that there's no hope, but God, he is able. Let me share some but God moments from the Bible. And if you're listening to this and you car or while you're exercising, I really encourage you to go back later and to write these verses down and to spend time in God's word reading about these moments and ways that God has just shown up and proven himself faithful. The first one is 1 Corinthians 3 verses 6 through 7. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I can tell you that I am constantly thinking that things are happening in my power because of something that I did, but it's God who waters the seeds that are planted. It's God who makes things grow. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. That sounds like a big accusation in verse 26. But verse 27 says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Psalm seventy-three twenty-six, My heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We are going to fail every day, but we can put our trust and our hope in God. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't wait until we were cleaned up enough to come to him. He did not wait to see if we would be worthy enough or if we could accomplish enough. While we were still wretched sinners, Christ died for us. Some of you might be waiting for your spouse to do enough good things, to be cleaned up enough, to get enough good marks on your report card to be worthy of coming home to you. And I would ask you to pray and to seek the Lord and to ask God to show you what he can do in your spouse's life. Aside from the list of things that you want, God is able to accomplish more than we could ever ask or imagine. And there is no truer statement than that. My dad left my mom 18 times in their first 19 years of marriage. Every time something went wrong, he threw his hands up and packed a suitcase and left. Sometimes he would come back in a couple of days or sometimes he would come back in a couple of hours and he would want to start over. Their marriage was plagued with infidelity, with abuse, and with dysfunction. It seemed like there was no hope. And because of that feeling of hopelessness, that is why my mom pursued a divorce. She was told by pastors, by counselors, by well-meaning friends, Bob's never going to change. Your family deserves peace. You should get a divorce. And she listened to those people. You may have those people speaking into your life right now. They love you. And just like my friend who's going through a separation right now, I care for her and I am hurt because of the things that her husband is doing to her and to her children. But I know that God is able to bring about change in their marriage. I know that God is able to do more than she can ask or imagine. What situation are you facing today that seems like it's just too much? Write it in your journal. Give it to God. 
Let him show you that this could become one of those but God moments from the Bible. What the enemy meant for evil, God can use for his good. I keep saying that, but let me read you the verses from Genesis. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. If you don't know the story of Joseph, I challenge you to dive into the book of Genesis and really get to understand what happened in Joseph's life. Joseph's brothers hated him because his dad, Jacob, loved him so much and because he was considered the favorite son. They hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. Then he was falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. He was then thrown into prison where he begins interpreting dreams for the prisoners. Joseph was being trained for leadership while he was in that dark place in prison, but it didn't feel like it at the time. He thought that things were going his way when he interpreted the dream for a cupbearer. And he expected that cupbearer to give him a shout out to Pharaoh so that Joseph could get out of jail sooner. Well, the cupbearer didn't remember who Joseph was and what he had done for him, so he failed to mention him to Pharaoh, leaving Joseph stuck in jail for another couple of years. Years later, Joseph ends up as second in command over Egypt. Talk about but God moments. Joseph's brothers needed to buy grain so they didn't starve, so Jacob sent them to Egypt. They ended up buying grain from their brother Joseph. Who needs television dramas when you have the Bible? Joseph recognizes his brothers. How would you react if the person or the people who had caused you so much turmoil in life were standing right before you, not realizing who you were? Eventually, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. In Genesis 45, Joseph is reassuring his brothers that they don't need to be distressed over the way they treated Joseph. They were Joseph's accusers. But in Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph is consoling them. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Verse 5, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Can you even imagine the reaction his brothers had when Joseph whispers, hey, guess what? It's me, the guy you sold into slavery. He didn't need to lash out and go over what the boys did to him and complain about the last so many years or how awful his life had been because of what they did. He gave them grace. That is a but God moment. Later on, Jacob dies and the brothers are once again worried that Joseph is going to hold a grudge because of all the wrong they did to him and the fact that Jacob is no longer alive. Genesis 50 verse 19, Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Read verse 20 again, highlight it, circle it, whatever you do in your Bible. You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. But God, you may feel defeated today because of the accusations that are being launched against you, but God has chosen you. You are wanted by the almighty creator of this world. When accusations come against us, we can use them to heal and to rebuild. When God gives accusations, there's always something constructive coming behind it, like restoration. Let me read something written by a young man named Andrew Jones. Noah was a drunk, but God used him to save humanity. Abraham was too old, but God gave him a son. Joseph was abandoned and left in a ditch, but God placed him in Pharaoh's palace. Moses had a stuttering problem, but God used him to proclaim truth. Gideon was afraid, but God made his army victorious. Rahab was a prostitute, but God placed her name in the lineage of Christ. Jeremiah was too young, but God saw his youthfulness as an asset. David was an adulterer and a murderer, but God called him a man after his own heart. Elijah was depressed, but God used him to rain down fire from heaven. Jonah had an attitude problem, but God still used him to save the Ninevites. Job went and lost everything, but God restored what he lost times two. Peter denied Christ, but God built his church upon his confession. The disciples failed Jesus, but God used them to turn the world upside down. The Samaritan woman was divorced, but God made her a great evangelist. Paul was a Christian killer, but God turned him into the greatest missionary the world has ever known. Lazarus was dead, but God raised him to life. And you and me were once dead, but God raised us to life. Today, I pray that you are standing on the but God promises and what he can do. And when you feel those accusations coming against you, tell the enemy that God has redeemed you and what God has done in your life. I know Bob was touched and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing him home suddenly, knocking at my office window. But God... Believe the same for you and your marriage. You will have a huge but God in your own marriage restoration. But first, the Lord must start changing your heart, body, soul, and spirit. Have you cried out to the Lord to start changing your life first? But God must. Remember my testimony. But God spoke marriage restoration to me first. May Lori start you to think about the power of God. Have you had a but God moment? If not, ask the Lord to give you a but God experience today. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages.